Welcome to the Lighthouse Financial Advisors Money Over 50 podcast with Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue. This information is general in nature and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Therefore, you should consider whether the information is appropriate for you and your personal circumstances. If you require personal advice, please contact Lighthouse Financial Advisors. Here are your hosts, Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue. Today we're going to talk about a big issue that we see in a lot of people leading up to their retirement, which is what should they do with their their home that they've lived in for normally the last 20, 30 years. It's a big decision, both emotionally and financially. Michael's done a fair bit more research than me around this in the last, um, last couple of months. He actually wrote an article for our website about this just recently. So. He's kind of the resident expert expert with this sort of thing. So I'll throw to him a, a fair bit, but firstly, just let me introduce Michael Hope. Thanks, Dallas. So basically, you've broken it down here that there's there's three main options that we can look at with, with your existing home leading up to retirement, is that right? There is, so the three main options are to either keep your existing home that you've lived in for most of your life, let's assume, raised your family in, the second option is to downsize, uh, and the third option is to to rent. So we'll go through those in more detail. However, the overarching statement that I'd like to make is that you are almost always financially better off if you live in a lower cost house uh, as opposed to yep. a higher cost house. Now, the, I say financially because there are reasons that you would live in a more expensive house, of course, lifestyle-wise, perhaps, yeah. or sentimental values, but you're almost always financially better off living in a lower-cost house. Yeah, and, and so for most people, that would the highest higher-cost house would be the house that they're in currently, given that most people have raised a family in a bigger home, and they're now, by the time they come in to see us, empty nesters or on the way to kicking the freeloaders out, and so they've got a bit more space, they could potentially uh, move into a smaller house and, and free up some some um, capacity there. Yeah, that's right. So the the option to downsize, uh, the first of all, the, the main advantage of that is it does free up equity. Yeah. Uh, and when you say equity, you mean the difference between what they, the value of their existing house and what they could buy elsewhere for in a smaller property? That's correct. Yeah. So if you if you if you're downsizing, you're selling a more expensive home. You're buying a lower cost home. Yeah. And and the rule of thumb that we look for is that you would want to generally uh, achieve a result of of coming away with an extra hundred thousand dollars of change. Yeah. That could be invested ideally inside your superannuation fund because you could then draw a tax-free income from that in retirement, generally. And the rule of thumb that we'll work on, and we'll look at this in a little bit more detail, is that if you do come over that extra $100,000 in downsizing, uh, so it's selling a more expensive home, buying a lower cost home, coming away with $100,000 to, to put in towards your superannuation, ideally, and invest that money, 
um, at an eight percent average rate of return inside that superannuation inside your superannuation fund, that would allow you to draw ten thousand dollars of additional income each year uh, for a period of twenty years before that hundred thousand dollars runs out. So just think about the change to your lifestyle there. Uh, for twenty years, uh, you could you could you could really go on, say twenty overseas holidays over the first twenty years of your your yeah. retirement for the cost of ten thousand dollars yeah. per year. You could put that money towards uh, some other form of lifestyle. You could be short of where you need to be. Yep. From a retirement point of view, so that extra hundred thousand dollars if yeah. achieved would. Yeah, it makes, makes a huge difference for, for most people um, leading up to and into. The other one, I guess, to, to look at is that, so that's assuming that you were to, to sell that property and then uh, at, at retirement, I guess another one to look at is that if you're sort of 10 years out from retirement and you can free up that $100,000, like you say, contribute that into your super fund, invest it through there, you could potentially, uh, on average, again, at that, at that rate of return, you'd be looking at, pretty much doubling that over the last 10 years of your working life. So I guess it's even more effective if you can if you can do that earlier, say at 55, if you're working towards retiring at 65. Downsize at 55, get that $100,000 in there and have that grow while you're continuing to work and then be at retirement with an additional $200,000 at that point in time. That's an excellent point. So doing this earlier rather than later makes more of a financial difference. So that's a great point. And we do often see, so the average age of our clients coming to us for the first time is somewhere in the, the 50 to 55 year old range. And as you know, we see a lot of people uh, at 55 and their youngest child has, has just recently left the family home. So it's potentially something that they could do at an earlier stage. Yeah rather than a later stage. Yeah. It's, it's a, I find it's a great way to kickstart that, uh, that retirement saving. So we speak about this a fair bit where you know, getting your super balance from $300,000 to $400,000 is, it, it's hard work and takes a fair bit of time, but getting it from 800000 to $900,000 tends to be a lot easier just because you, your money is actually doing your work for you. So you know, if you could free up $100,000 here, it's a great way to kick that off and get from, you know, if, you, if you're coming in with $300,000, gets you straight to that $400,000, gets, gets the ball rolling for you in advance of all the rest of the things that you can do over that last 10 years. Another excellent point, because you're right, it's the, it's the size of your balance that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you yeah. towards the latter years of your retirement. So if you can... You're right, if you can add on an extra $100,000 to your balance, which as a couple age 55 would typically, typically we see a lot of couples age 55 somewhere between a combined balance of $500,000 to $600,000 inside their, their combined superannuation fund. So if you can add on an extra $100,000 yeah. at that point in time, yeah. it just gets a bigger... Yeah, a bigger compounding asset base working for you. Yeah. So I guess that's um, that's one of the pros of, of downsizing um, there. Um, there are a few other advantages I think you, you sort of alluded to in the past. So in downsizing, so if we go if we go back to the reasons you may keep your house 
yeah. um, as opposed to downsizing first. There are some reasons to keep your existing house. One of the ones that I've written down here, and this is not an exhaustive list, but the first one I'd say is that the home still suits you. So, you, you part B of that is that you you really like your neighbours, you like the neighbourhood, yeah. you're familiar with that. Um, you already perhaps have sufficient finances to retire uh, already, so. You know, you if you can you keep the bigger house, then, yeah. then, then why not? Yeah. Um, and the last reason would be sentimental value. So you've raised your family there. And um, for those of you who don't know, and you wouldn't know, because this is our first podcast, Dallas doesn't have much of a sentimental value on, on my thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I can appreciate sentimental value. Um, I'm not a Trekkie at all, but I've watched quite a few episodes of Star Trek late at night perhaps when I can't sleep and I've noticed that Spock uh, from Star Trek doesn't have a sentimental bone in his body either he's purely relies purely on logic and, that, and that's that's Dallas yep which is a, a good attribute to have as a, as a financial advisor actually yeah it's probably a fair statement um, so there, there, there could be these reasons to keep your house on the negative sides to keeping your existing house is that it's, it's generally larger and more costly to maintain. Yeah. And I don't know, you've, you've looked at this in a, in a fair bit of detail, Michael, because we, like I say, I actually live in a, in a rented unit at the moment. Um, again, because from a... There, given that there's no sentimental bone in my body, I don't see the, the financial value in owning a home for me at this stage. Um, Mike, you moved into your, you bought a house a few years ago and you've actually kept track of all these costs over the last few years, haven't you? I have. I've kept a, I've kept a track of what it's cost to maintain the house and, and I've only been in my existing house since January 2016, so uh, we're not quite at three years yet. Um, my belief is that it costs somewhere in the vicinity of about 2% of the value of the house to maintain uh, each year, um, which for most places is somewhere in the vicinity of about $7,000 to $10,000 per year. Yeah. And and people will hear that naturally and think, well, it doesn't cost that much to, to maintain my house. But if you go through everything, um, one, of the, one of the things that the house we bought and moved into was only 10 years old. And um, one of the things we learned is that is that split system air conditioning doesn't last much longer than 10 years. So there was a cost there after 10 years of, of yeah. roughly $12,000 to replace yeah. all of the split system units. Yeah. So if you do the math on that, that's about yeah. $1,200 a year yeah. um, just in air conditioning. And, and there tends to be a lot of those, like we say, in, in the costs of, of holding a bigger property. There's those hidden costs that, that tend to uh, trip people up because Obviously, you see your rates bill, you see your you know insurance bill every month. When you then have to replace a roof once every thirty years for twenty thousand dollars, you don't tend to allocate that money every year. It just tends to be a shocking thing that that comes sort of suddenly. And we'll talk more about the the true cost of maintenance later on when we look at the option, the third option, which is to to rent, so to sell your existing house and not downsize to rent. Um, but it, if we come back to 
Council. maintaining your sorry remaining in your existing house into your retirement uh, it's generally larger and more costly to maintain so that's a that's a given um, the other one the other major disadvantage is that that usually you do have equity in that house because it tends to be a four bedroom to five bedroom house that you raise your family in um, we're at the point where we assume let's hope uh, that your kids who would be generally fully functioning adults let's hope again uh, by the time that you retire if you're listening to this would have would have left the house by that stage so the need for a four or five bedroom house can potentially come down to you know, a three bedroom house or a two bedroom unit so you you have equity in that and and that equity is the money that could be freed up if you sold downsized to a lower cost house or unit and and were to be able to put that money towards uh, your superannuation or your retirement savings balance to, to, to draw an income from. That's that's I think another thing that we notice with the with the downsizing or with with moving into a, a smaller home for a lot of people they they tend to like uh, having a, a spare bedroom um, and that's sort of something that like you say, if you're a couple now with the kids of your hand living in a four bedroom house, a lot of people will say, Oh well it's you know, it's good that I've got friends that come and stay with me occasionally when they're in town, all that sort of thing. Again, it's one of those things, it's just a matter of looking at the numbers of that, but what we tend to find is that it, it's actually a, a massive cost per night for those friends to come and stay when you when you take into account the, the equity that is tied up in that house. So like we say, you, you, you're probably in a lot of cases better off saying to your friend, listen, I'll shout a hotel room for you. I'll put you up at, at Jupiter's Casino for the night for a $200 a night hotel room. You're still going to be better off financially compared to selling that spare room effectively and having that, that equity that, you, that you're working harder. Absolutely. So, so back to the example of downsizing. So you downsize and you buy a, a lower cost home that frees up, let's assume this example, $100,000. That goes into your superannuation funds and and assuming again that you're over the age of 60 and retired, that money can then go into a tax-free account-based pension, which is superannuation, think of that as superannuation part B, you're actually drawing an income from it. Yeah, so the, the rate of return is tax-free and the income that you draw from that is tax-free. So if you think about that, that extra $100,000 going in at, let's assume, an 8% rate of return, and that's just an assumption for the purpose of this discussion today, that may or may not occur depending on what investment strategy that you're in. But if you assume an 8% rate of return, that $100,000 earns you $8,000 in that first year. Now, um, if you were to draw eight thousand dollars out, uh, you could do that tax-free, and it would give you an extra eight thousand dollars of income into perpetuity. For the example that I've used today, I've just assumed that you draw ten thousand dollars out each year. So the money after you won, yeah. uh, you invest eight hundred thousand dollars. It earns an eight percent rate of return. It increases the value to one hundred eight thousand dollars of that hundred thousand dollars. You take ten thousand dollars out of that, yep. uh, which drops the, the value back to $98,000. So if you were to continue to take that $10,000 out, um, that 
$100,000 dropping to $98,000 would, would run out after 20 years. Yeah. But, but, the, but the advantage there, so the, the advantages that I see here are that, that that makes a huge difference to your lifestyle. So, you know, extra ten thousand yeah. dollars gives you the ability, like I said, to to do twenty overseas holidays or yeah. to travel Australia every year. Yeah. Um, you still get to pass on an asset to your children, which is your house. Yeah. So even if you spent all of your retirement savings plus the extra hundred thousand dollars that you put in, which yeah. you would have in this example, um, you still have a house. Yeah. So you can still pass that on to your children. Yeah. When you go. Yeah. Uh, you still have the stability of of home ownership so you still are able to to live in the same street and uh, not be a not uh, be at the whim of Landlords. a landlord yeah. that may um, be selling and you need to move and you can also sell your existing house capital gains tax free uh, if it's your principal place of residence which it would be because yeah. we're talking about this is your family home here yeah. so in downsizing, you can sell a a four or five hundred thousand dollar house, or, or I mean, I'm putting the figure on it. It doesn't have to be a figure to be capital gains tax free. It's it doesn't matter what the figure is. It, yep. It's capital gains tax free if it's your principal place of residence. Yep. Um, the potential disadvantages. The, sorry, Mark. Just sorry. with that, the. Uh uh, a point that I just thought of while you were discussing the ability to draw income from there is one of the one of the advantages of of both the downsizing and the renting option we look at is that that gives you a bit more flexibility around how and when you draw that income. So a, a lot of people that we that we speak to basically say I've I've already taken care of my kids for twenty years they're on their own now I don't I don't feel the need to to pass anything on to them and so for those people you you would effectively go okay you've got your hundred thousand that you've freed up. You can you can have a have a great time with that. Spend ten thousand dollars a year, and draw that down over that twenty year period. However, if if you were of a mind to say, well, I want to be able to pass that on to you know uh, my kids or grandkids or something like that in the future, it's very easy to just dial back that income draw from that. For example, you could say, well, I'll take five thousand dollars a year out of that hundred thousand. Um, you still get the addition to your lifestyle. You you can. Um, you know, still do some of those things, uh, potentially go on a trip every second year. However, you've still got that, that asset base, that 100000 is continuing to grow and, and work for you in the background. So that, I guess, we think of assets to pass on to our children just as kind of the family home. But that is a, another way to think of it is that it's just a, a different way to pass that on onto the kids or the grandkids or whatever. It's just to have that in your, in your account-based pension and your super fund versus having it tied up in, in the family home. And I guess in some cases it's a it's a more flexible way to do that as well is to is to not have all of your assets tied up in one property which then has to be sold to free up cash to pay out um, whoever your beneficiaries are. There can be some money that's in a, in a bit more of a liquid form um, through your through your account based pension at the end of the day. That's right. I think yeah, it it does create extra flexibility. It's a, yeah. Very good point. Yeah. So, sorry, you and you were saying about some of the cons of, of downsizing. So, so, the cons would be that there's change, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's change. So, you're used to living in that home for a, a long term period of time, so you have to change. Uh, you're moving to a new neighbourhood, so 
you could be unlucky to move into a street where there's noisy neighbours, for example, so you'd have to be careful. It's probably just a thing to be aware of when doing this, or if doing this, yeah. to really, really do your research um, on, on, on what you buy. Yeah. because you need to like that area yeah. you need to that, and that's I guess a, a big one like you we, we talk about this a fair bit with um, particularly when you're moving not just downsizing but moving to a new location either moving to a new suburb or to a completely new town in a lot of cases it makes sense to go and rent somewhere for six months or 12 months to really get a feel and understanding for uh, for the for the place and where in particular within there you want to be but also as a bit of a trial run to to make sure that that is what you what you want to do and make sure that that is where you want to end up for the long term. It's not a good point because you see people that move, in many times they move cities, buy a new house, uh, think that they're going to like this city and like that area and find out that they don't and they end up selling in the new city and moving back to the old city. Yep. So they've actually enacted three transactions. They've sold their existing home, bought a new home in a new city, and moved back, sold that, and bought another house back in the yeah. back in the existing city, which which um, doesn't put any money in their pocket. It puts a lot of money in the government's pocket and real estate agents' pockets. Yeah, but but not too much in their pocket. So and and that's I guess one of the disadvantages of downsizing is is that there is that transaction cost on. On buying and selling property, that's right. So one of the, one of the disadvantages, or, or one of the things to be aware of, is to measure the true cost of downsizing. So um, we see we see some mistakes there, and 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 one of the key mistakes is to not measure the true cost. So I've just looked at the numbers on uh, the sale of a, a five hundred thousand dollar house. So from a real estate point of view. Uh, real estate agents generally charge 5% on the first $18,000 of sale value and then 2.5% thereafter. So that's about $13,000 of real estate agent fees on a, on a $500,000 house. I've assumed that you have some real estate advertising costs of about $2,500 as well. Um, stamp duty in Queensland is... This is on the replacement house, and I've assumed yep. that you've bought a replacement house here for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You've sold one for five hundred thousand. Yeah, you've bought a replacement house for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, um, it's one percent in Queensland for houses that are three hundred and fifty thousand dollars or less. So it's a three thousand five hundred dollar uh, stamp duty cost. Just be careful that stamp duty actually goes up in percentage for houses over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars when you're buying a replacement house, and you pay that on the purchase yep. of a replacement house, not the sale. And legals, conveyancing, etc. I've just allocated $1,000. So that comes to about $20,000 of yep. cost. Um, and let's assume let's assume it's gonna range between twenty to $25,000 in yep. cost on the sale of a, of a half a million dollar house yep. in, this, in this case. Um, the other mistakes that we see, so, so people don't often measure that. The other mistakes that we see is that they buy the replacement house before they've sold the existing house, yeah. which inevitably leads to a problem when they go to sell the existing home, they can't get what they thought they would get for it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, they're stuck a little bit then yeah. in terms of, you know, they think they can sell for $500,000. They yeah. buy a replacement house before they sell. 
for $350,000 and they would have to generally do that by a bridging loan so they borrow $350,000 for a period of time they go to sell the $500,000 house and they find out the best offer is $420,000 yeah so they're stuck and that, that's something that we've seen a lot of particularly in the last few years um, yeah we often find that when you when you you say to someone you know what is your house worth and they'll say oh, I, I paid X amount for it you know well but that's that's not the that's not necessarily what the market value of that house is and, it, and it's an easy thing to do to get anchored to thinking well if I paid five hundred thousand dollars for this house it's worth five hundred thousand dollars so like you say it's just another one to be aware of the true the true cost of transacting but also the true value of what is what is my existing home worth am I going to be able to sell it for for what I think and like you say the easiest way to avoid getting caught there is is to sell that first is to go okay well if I'm going to put that on the market that is what the true value of that is is what someone is willing to pay me for that right now we think it's the only way to go to sell your existing house first if you're downsizing yeah you actually then you've completed one big question mark of the yeah. equation that's which right. is what is my house what is my house really worth yeah and you then know that you you then know how much you have to go shopping for yeah. a replacement house yeah and you can also then make a better decision if the market is soft and using that example if you thought it was worth five hundred thousand yeah. dollars and you were going to buy a replacement house for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars yeah but the best offer you could get in trying to sell your existing house was four hundred and twenty thousand dollars yeah then you may rethink doing yeah. it at that point in time. That's right, yeah. Because yeah. because the general assumption here is that you'd also want to free up a minimum of $50,000 yeah. extra to uh, put into your superannuation, yeah. preferably more than that. So yeah. the strategy really loses its bang yeah. if, if the changeover yeah. only nets an amount of $50,000 or less. Yeah. So the... the, the overarching objective would be that yeah. you would want that to be $100,000 or, or more, yeah. um, ideally. Yeah. It's, like you say, it's, it's an interesting one where once you have actually transacted in that market and sold that first property, there's, there's those advantages of you know how much cash you've got to go, to go shopping. And I guess the other one is that you also have a very good idea of what the, what the market value is of, of the properties that you're looking at as well. Um, so, like you say, if, if, if you're listing your property for 500000 and you're looking at other properties that are listed for three hundred and fifty, and you find that you actually sell your house for four hundred and fifty, well, that's probably a good indicator that you can go and push back on, on some of those you know, asking prices on the properties that you're looking at. That's okay. right. Yeah. So th- this is like one that we've, we see a lot, and, and one of the important things with all this is to make sure that you have a real estate agent that you that you can trust and that you can sort of rely on um, what they are telling you, because that is a, a common sort of theme is that um, some real estate agents would will basically tell you the value of your property is whatever they whatever they feel they need to tell you to get the deal across the line, and then once they once you've signed up with an exclusive listing with them they'll then chisel that price back down and you'll end up in a position, like you say, where you think your house is worth 500000 your agent has told you that it's worth 500000 and yet the best offer that you can get is 420000 
So that's, uh, I guess, another part of it is really making sure that you're working with someone in that area that you can trust. And there are some, some very good agents out there, very trustworthy guys that will be able to, to help you in making sure that you know what that real value is. Another good point, because that's a, a, another, like you said, it's another trap that we see people have an overinflated expectation of what their house is really worth from, from uh, real estate agents sometimes competing to get their, yeah. their, their work. Yeah. Um, the so other one to be careful of, and it's just, it's no reason not to do it, but it's just another equation here, is that if you are achieving the age pension, or are set to achieve the age pension, in downsizing your house coming away with with extra money that is generally classed as an extra financial asset, which yep. may affect your age pension a little bit. Yep. However, we still don't think it's a reason not to do it um, because of the fact that that as so your age pension may drop a little bit, but your overall income will Increase. almost always increase by quite a bit yeah. and with the extra $100,000 in that example um, you could you could potentially run that money down yep. faster by yep. by spending more of it yep. and your age pension would naturally just go back up to, yep. to where it was Yeah, and, and that's I guess one with Centrelink planning it's similar to tax planning where we look at this and, and you really want to go what's going to put me overall in the best position so maximizing your Centrelink benefits is, is great um, if and when possible but if, you, if you're making financial decisions based purely around maximizing Centrelink um, it, it may not be the, the best decision. That's right. So that's kind of the, the downsizing model which um, like I said most people are, are fairly comfortable with that because they, they've owned a home for sort of 20-30 years they, they understand the concept of okay well we will continue being homeowners we'll free up some of that equity that we that we had in that bigger property that we might raise their kids in uh, we'll go and buy a smaller property the third option there which we haven't sort of got to yet was to was was actually just to sell your existing property and rent you know, this is a um, normally a harder one for people to, to get their head around or to, to be comfortable with but you've got a contentious statement that you like to, to make with, with clients when they're, when they're looking at this or when you, you raise this as an option with them. I do. The contentious statement is that rent isn't dead money. Rent is free if done right. Yeah. A lot, I know a lot of people will be listening to this, shaking their heads because it's a widely accepted norm that rent is dead money. However, when we look at it, so the example that I've used here is a $350,000 house. So um, I've cut back on the value of the house, but I'm just assuming here that someone's reached retirement age, they fully own a $350,000 house. Yep. And, and let's assume that that's what they would come away with after the cost of selling that house, yep. if they were to sell that. Um, I'm going to say that for them to fully own that house without any loan on it or any debt on that house, it's costing them about $14,000 per year to hold that house. And the cost breaks down as uh, council rates of circa $3,500 per year, home insurance of circa $3,500 per year, and maintenance at 2% of the value of the house. 
which comes in at $7,000 per year. So we're at $14,000 a year to hold that house. Yeah, and, and that's the point you made before is that that's, that's an average cost, but it is a real cost. You know, in, in that first year, you may be lucky to get away with just having the rates and the insurance of $7,000. You, your maintenance might be minimal. But we know that at some stage in that next 20 years, there are, there are going to be some, some good-sized maintenance bills coming in. So we can't just ignore them because they aren't coming in on a regular basis. We really do need to allow for that as a real cost over time. That's right. So uh, the, the things that I've done in my house, like I said before, just in the last two and a half years, um, are the air conditioning. So there's $12,000 of yeah. cost there. Uh, there has been termite damage, which costs $3,000 to have uh, the, the chemical put in the ground to keep termites out. It costs about another $1,000 to have uh, some work fixed. Um, the house needs a paint very shortly. We have a, a two and a half year old and a 12 month old. We're delaying the painting because they eat Vegemite and put their hands on the walls. So it really could do with the paint now, inside and out. So, and I, I mean, the house is only 12 years old. so. The roof that you mentioned before, all of these things, whilst they don't come in regularly, yeah. Do, do you want to know what they my, are a cost? Do you want to know what my costs have been on my rented unit in the last? What are your couple costs? Two hundred fifty dollars a week rent. That's it. That is it. So Nothing when else. you rent, you can cap that cost, and you know where it is on a regular basis. There's no hidden. There's there's no hidden cost, which is which is I haven't even written that down as a as a advantage, but it is. Yeah. So it's, it's a really smooth advantage, there's no hidden costs. Yeah. Um, so in this example, to hold that house of $350,000, it's, it's a cost of $14,000 to hold that house. Yeah. Council rates $3,500, insurance $3,500, and maintenance $7,000. Now I know your figures may differ from this slightly, but they'll probably be in that range. So if this person was to sell their $350,000 house and decide to, to rent, um, they would be able to rent a house or a unit for $400 per week, which is $20,800 per year. Um, now, besides the fact that it's probably gonna be a better house for that price, yeah. and we are in we are in regional Queensland, uh, if you're listening from Sydney or somewhere like that, so we're in Townsville. Yeah. Uh, so these are the figures done in our city. If you're in Sydney, just add a zero to the end of it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true, but you'd be selling your house for a much higher, right, yeah. higher price as well. So um, your out-of-pockets here in, in selling and renting are only 6800 per year. Now, now, how that equates again, so you rent at $400 per week if you were to rent a house, it's 20800 per year, but you're going to put the savings of $14,000 that you have because you're not paying rates, you're not paying insurance, you're not paying maintenance on the house yeah. towards that rent. So you're out of pocket only 6800 yep. Now, what you have, you actually have an extra $350,000 that you can add to your superannuation. And there's recent legislation that's come in. So if you sell a house over the age of 65, there has been a problem in the past of actually putting money into your super fund. Yep. Um, you can now do that through the, uh, the downsizing contribution provisions. Yep. Um, so you can get the money into your superannuation fund, and then you can get that into the tax-free account-based pension. So, again, assuming an eight percent rate of return on that extra three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, it's a tax-free rate of return of twenty-eight thousand dollars per year. 
um, you take out $6,800 to go towards the, the rent um, and it then provides you an extra, a little bit over $20,000 extra to take each year to, to travel yeah. um, or, to, or to spend on yeah. uh, retirement lifestyle. You may be short $350,000 in your retirement plan yeah. Um, just by virtue of the fact that you haven't had superannuation for as long as your children have had it, yeah. um, if you're listening to this at 60 or 65. So it, it's an effective way to, to top up your balance yeah. and to, to generate an extra $20,000 of real rate of return in this example each year that you could actually use to travel. If you wanted to dip into the extra uh, the capital, capital yeah. of the $350,000, you can take more. And we actually, I actually have a client that's done this. So, so a client of mine is a, a single lady um, with about five years to go before retiring. And it took us, it took us quite. She was a homeowner. It took us quite a while. It took us about two and a half years to come to to the strategy that she wanted to sell her house and add the money to her superannuation and and um, rent and. And that was all driven by her lifestyle. So, um, Liz, if you're listening, um, I'm, I'm talking about you. Uh, I know you won't mind. <laughs> so, um, yeah, over that two and a half years of, of us meeting and talking about what her ideal lifestyle would be in retirement, a recurring theme kept coming up and it was travel, travel, travel. So more and more travel. So we looked at it from a numbers point of view and, and worked out that if being a non-homer by selling her home, renting, um, and she's actually rented a, a much nicer place that suits her a lot better, uh, she would free up this money that could go into her superannuation fund and she could draw somewhere in the vicinity of about an extra $20,000 a year yep. uh, once retired to, to fund travel. Yeah. Uh, which, which, like I said, this, the decision wasn't taken I wasn't answered into lightly and it took us about two and a half years to work to, to, to really go through that yeah. to work that out but um, she's done it she loves it she loves the new place um, she's over and above where we thought she would be positioned yeah. from a financial point of view yeah. um, really the only con is that or the disadvantage to renting is that you may have to move if the landlord uh, uh, sells yeah. the house um, but it's a bit of a misnomer because people think, oh, what if the landlord kicks me out? Yeah. Um, I've talked to landlords before. They are looking for sixty-five-year-old <laughs> exactly. retired tenants. Yep. Is their dream tenant? They'll yep. never kick you out yep. unless they're selling the house. Exactly. Because they're worried about the opposite. So yes. they're worried about someone young coming into the house or the unit and wrecking it or not paying rent and all that. So they're actually looking for yep. for people that are retired to yes. to, to rent their exactly. uh, rental. As, as long as you don't have too many crazy parties or anything like that. Or That's right. Well, we're making assumptions here that uh, at 65, you, um, yeah. you, you, you're not having all those parties. You're having some, but, yeah. but the, knocking um, on the head a bit earlier than, than midnight. <laughs> the, uh, the, only, the only other um, disadvantage that, that I do hear about sometimes, and again, it's hard for me to, to, to wrap my head around this because I'm the laziest man around the house that that guy ever put breath into. 
so I never want to do anything at home ever. There are a lot of people who do enjoy, you know, doing a bit of work in the garden, uh, working around the house, that kind of thing. I think I've come up with a solution. If if you're that person and you don't want to rent because you want to do things around the house, come and talk to Michael. He'll let you do everything <laughs> around his house. You can do all the work there, and you can you can rent your own place and and work this strategy that might make more financial sense and he'll let you do all that at his place. This is true. I, um, I'll even pay you to do that. <laughs> I'd yeah. rather stay here working on my client's financial plans in <laughs> retirement than, uh, than do the gardening in my house. It's yeah. true. Um, the only other one I could think of as well, um, with, with, the, with the renting in particular, um, and also with the downsizing, is that you know, freeing up this this either a hundred thousand dollars in the downsizing case with all the you know potentially much more than that if you were to to rent you really do have to be careful around how much of that of that money you are spending each year so it's again an easy one to look at and go yeah in this example we've freed up three hundred fifty thousand dollars great i'll spend you know fifty thousand dollars out of that this year because we want to go and buy a caravan and do that sort of thing you do need to bear in mind that you are trading off the fact that you will have increased rent expenses over your retirement. Um, so it's, it's not free money in terms of you don't necessarily have all of that money to be, to be drawn down and, and used you know, in your early years of retirement. So it's really just about having a plan for, okay, the money that we free up, how do we use that most effectively to either, like we say, only draw an income out of it that will allow your, your super value to continue to grow or to draw that down uh, over time, but in a safe, sustainable way, so that you're not going to be running out of money um, before you before your your life expectancy. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Um, so, was there anything else, Michael, that in particular that you wanted to, to talk about um, the with regards to these sort of different options with your with your house leading up to and into retirement? I think we covered most of them. Obviously. It's going to be different for everyone, so we've tried to use an example that would suit a lot of people and suit a typical client. Um, however, it will be different for everyone, so do your research. Um, like I said, the, the, the look at the disadvantages, the, the main ones of, of selling and downsizing or renting that we see uh, come around the transaction, so it, it's, it's actually yeah. You know, buying the replacement home before selling your, your existing yeah. one. Yeah. Um, not looking at the true costs of yeah. of the move. Yeah. And there may be other costs than that as well, but you know, if we look at the real estate advertising, stamp duty, legal conveyance, we say it's somewhere in the vicinity of twenty to twenty five thousand yeah. dollars uh, of money that's gone. Yeah. And looking at the looking at the effect that it may have on what you would receive from from Sandlink via the age pension. Yeah. Um, we're happy to talk to anyone uh, who's listening, uh, either over the phone or in person, uh, at no obligation to, to, to look at these things. Yeah. These types of issues. But apart from that, um, I think we we pretty much covered everything. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I guess, the the point that you make there is that it's not necessarily, um, you know, in a in a half an hour discussion, we're not going to be able to have a black and white answer for every person to do the same thing, whether that's keep downsides or rent, it is really just um, something to think about as you start planning for your retirement as a way to to think, okay, what else can I be doing to potentially 
uh, meet my retirement goals sooner or quicker or, or live a, a bit of a better lifestyle in retirement is that it is just an option to think about and to, to maybe get your head around um, well in advance of making any major decisions on this. So it's really important to be comfortable with, uh, like we say, the, the disadvantages and advantages of each of these strategies and just to make a decision that is best suited for you and what you want. Uh, so I think that's it from us today. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Money Over 50 podcast with Lighthouse Financial Advisors. We look forward to catching up again soon.